Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. So today, I'm at SharePoint Fest in my town of Chicago, and I'm sitting with Seb Levier. Did I say that right? Absolutely not. I figured. <laughs> so welcome, Seb. Why don't you introduce folks to yourself, including how to pronounce your name? <laughs> yeah, so uh, hi, everyone. My name is Sebastian. Uh, in French, you would say Sebastien Levier. From Montreal, Canada, product lead at uh, Valo Internet. Uh, so I oversee all of our different uh, offerings that are um, our SIP on top of uh, SharePoint and Office 365 and the graph and all those cool technologies that we use at Valo. It's a shame we're not on video because he's really excited with the arms waving and really getting into it, which is excellent. Glad to have a lot of enthusiasm. So thanks for taking some time with me here today. And, and as I was looking at the session list uh, this week, you were doing a talk, and I'm going to paraphrase, but it was about taking your skills to the cloud. Yeah, exactly. And so that caught my attention. And I'd like to just dive a little deeper on that. What, First of all, what does that mean to take your skills to the cloud? Well, let me take a, a step back before we even go okay. into the, what it means. Why I came up with that session is I'm doing a lot of those conferences uh, around US, Canada, a little bit internationally, and I'm still shocked to talk to people that are still considering themselves SharePoint developers that are just specific to a really, really limited skill set, not skill set, but limited technology, SharePoint, SharePoint, SharePoint. Um, talk a lot with people that are still doing on-premises and all those stuff, and I was like, how can I bring, or can I, how can I help these people to take the concepts that they know in SharePoint, but bring them ready for the cloud? How can we transform the way a developer will code, will think about solution, will architect his, his solutions to bring this to be future-proof in the cloud? We've seen in the last year, there was a lot of momentum around moving stuff to the cloud, especially on the dev side of things. It's a lot more mature in the cloud, so now people are moving but they're totally lost. They're, they're, they want to see their old habits <laughs> being replicated in the cloud, which today is sometimes the case, but sometimes not. Yeah, and that, that's an interesting uh, phenomenon, if you will, right? Often we'll see architecture from companies or from your Microsoft, you can lift and shift, right? It's easy, yep. to, it's easy to take share your SharePoint farm and run it in the cloud because they have all these migration tools, which sounds great if all you care about are files and yeah. lists, right? But what about custom dev, right? So is that that's the kind of experience? That's, yeah. exa that's exactly it. And and I've seen people like coding on the old SharePoint platform and say, oh, we're, we're moving in six months in the cloud. Okay, how will you move that all custom code? There's no magic buttons. There's some magic buttons in the cloud today for file, for, for content, like you said, but for code. And it's now, how can you migrate those solutions to the cloud? That's kind of the, the, the main topic of my, of my session. Yeah, okay, and, and so I think, you know, for, for someone who's who's new to space, so if I'm doing SharePoint and it's all C-sharp stuff, it's a lot, it can be a lot new. And I understand that digging into SPFX can be a difficult thing, but I guess what I'm getting at is when, when you're, is the feedback you get from folks, are, is that the case? where they're long-time server-side developers moving to the cloud, or is it still even people who are in client-side but don't know the peculiarities of Microsoft's cloud? Or there's both. both. There's okay. both. Um, so, especially in those SharePoint-focused conferences, there's a lot of SharePoint developers that have been doing SharePoint forever. Uh, they, they know feature XML like the back of their hand. Yeah, right? <laughs> they, they run timer jobs, and they do event receivers. Okay. It's, it's, and, and, and still today, the other day, I was reviewing code with someone helping them, and it's like, oh, wow. 
that's not going to move. It's not cloud ready. Is it's it like definitely not cloud ready. Right. So, yeah. um, and there's also the concept. So there's the tech that I'm talking about in that session. So all the different pieces of SharePoint, how you can bring them, but also what about what is a SharePoint solution today? Is it always in SharePoint? Yeah, back in the days, yeah. everything was in SharePoint. SharePoint was your corporate cloud. <laughs> you were using that as a way to have apps and collaboration and publishing and uh, BI and reporting and all that kind of stuff. But now with the cloud, everything shifts a little bit. You only you need to have a solution in SharePoint to consume SharePoint data. You don't need to have a solution in SharePoint to do some reporting. So I also talk about all the different integration, I call them integration opportunities or surfaces that I, you can start coding that could leverage also your data to be closer to where your users are. Um, there's nothing worse than going back to a specific site all, all the time while right? the site comes to you. So. Yeah, so now if I'm moving to the cloud though, would you advocate them breaking up this application or trying to keep it all contained into SharePoint just for the work or both or what, what's your I, thoughts on that? I would say it's a, a two-part process. I think the easy way to, especially in terms of a, if you want to have kind of a, a metric of a successful migration, you want your code to work in the cloud. So that, I would say that's the first step, bring your code as a single element or break it out into different backend services, but in the end, you consume it through a web part, a page, or whatever you have in SharePoint. The second thing that I, I, I think, which is the second step in the process, is to bring the application, to break the application apart. An app today is not, for me, it's not a destination. It's a whole concept. So I talk a lot about the office add-ins. You're building a help desk system. Why don't you have your help desk knowledge base as part of Outlook instead of just being, again, inside SharePoint? Today, we're, we're, like with all the Teams stuff that is happening around the world, everybody talks about Teams, Teams, Teams. Well, people are spending so much time in Teams. Why don't you bring your app as part of Teams as a bot? as a messaging extension, as a tab, and break it apart so you can really leverage the best part when you really need it. Um, and this is the part that really like, is the eye-opener for people. They realize that an app doesn't have to be a single destination, but can be set in a different set of uh, applications, and then they can leverage it from wherever the user needs to leverage the app. And that's really kind of the whole process that I bring them through. Which is great, and I'm totally on board with that, making productivity where the people are. Um, but a couple things that you, you touched on, and I want to got to branch off, right? So Teams tabs and Teams apps, yeah. uh, and obviously Microsoft has put out some numbers about how big Teams is growing and so on, it's good. And now you combine that with the data point that says, well, we can write an SPFX thing and host it in a Teams tab. So what's your thought on having the same code running in SharePoint versus running in Teams? Is that something you would do, or would you just use the same stack and do a different experience? Experience. I would say it will depend on the on the use case. Um, I don't believe that a tab has to be a web part. Uh, sometimes the opposite is true. A web part could become a tab. I don't really see the use case of having a tab as part of a web part. Usually, usually it's it's connected to your productivity, SharePoint. Well, maybe in some team sites or whatsoever. Uh, but I, I I believe that some use cases are really great for SharePoint framework using the graph using any AAD um, secured APIs, all wrapping it up in SharePoint framework, which makes it way easier for the developer to, to use, to code. It's kind of a, a no-brainer. There's some challenges, there's some <laughs> limitations, uh, but for simple use cases, I think it really, really, really works well. So I see that, but I also see the full-blown Teams app 
from scratch, host that in Azure, bring that as part, as part of it if it's only for um, specific teams. I also had discussions with, with people like, we build those apps, we built those IIS.net like three back in the days. Uh, that was a, I don't know, a, an HR system. Would like to bring it as part of Teams. Well, that's a good part of it. It's actually quite easy to bring those apps inside Teams as as tabs, as a little bit of manifest, change a little bit your your, your JavaScript code in, in in that app, and you can kind of be connected to Teams without too much efforts. There's there's both potential. Yeah, and, I, and I, the, the tech, technology wise, I get that. But I, and and I had I had, was chatting with some folks back at Redmond and trying and I asserted to them that that while I can do that for an HR app and in a team. I don't know that I want the whole HR app in a team. Maybe I want my HR benefits yes. in a team. So maybe just because I can, should I? I, I agree. I would not bring the entire app. Uh, you bring pieces. And, when I, when you, and we said it earlier, to break um, a, an app in multiple views of, of the same data. I think that's a good, uh, that's a good example. Um, what we've seen also, um, and I've been working with customers that did that, um, to have that my team specific app that as part of uh, different tabs and maybe roll out to the HR department with an app policy in Teams, a personal app that is part of Teams. It's just for them. It's secured. It's only there. Is it the best way to do it? Sometimes you might not have a lot of value in bringing that in Teams. Still, it's where they are every day. So to go back and forth makes it a little bit easier to be as part of Teams rather than being as part of a website somewhere that you always forget the URL or whatsoever. So I, I see that. Now, the next question I have following up on those customers, do, do you, that can be, if you think up the chain, the executive and return on investment, where, what, why do I, do I want to write an app for a team if it's, you know, 1% of my workforce or less than 1% for big organizations? Is, so do you find that there's struggle in getting that because the, 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 it's hard to see the value or do you, do you think that uh, the tools that make us do it fast enough, we can get away with it or somewhere in the middle? I would say somewhere in the middle. Um, the tools are helping, but I don't think they get you anywhere where you want to go with a couple of clicks. A good example is if you want to build a bot, it's really easy to build a bot. Next, 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 create an app. But then if you want to really build value, having a bot just to have a bot and check your scorecard is easy. Building the entire process is not. Um, I really believe that depending on those scenarios, depending on what's the return on investment of all of those smaller apps that you want to build, you would see that the value. That's where I think a lot of executive in, in, in organization are starting to look a little bit more at what the, the power platform can do to build those one-person people app they don't have to be super sexy. They don't have to be super performant. They just have to work and deliver a very specific business case. And then you can use your pro devs to really focus on very complex business problems rather than a data entry for department A, B, or C. Right, that makes sense. Okay, so now I want to get back to, to your session on, yeah. on getting moving to the cloud. Right. So the, the other... Back in the day, I loved building for SharePoint because I didn't have to worry about authentication. I didn't have to worry about data storage. I didn't have to worry about user interface. And so things are a little bit different now. So yes. what, what, what can you say to developers who are used to just putting a SharePoint ASP.NET web controls on the page and it's done, and now they have to go to something different? So what, do you, what advice can you give them? I would say there's like three advice I could, I could, I could give them to start. First, learn Azure Active Directory. Look at that. Look at what is that bees that you, the first time you see that, you're like, oh, that's like, that's my Azure in, in, in uh, that, that's my AD in Azure. It, it's, it's, it, 
It's not. It's it's way more than that. And this is where all the permissions uh, are being stored. And that's the first thing I say. If you really want to leverage the cloud, secure everything and use Azure AD to do that uh, through all those app permissions and, and, and delegated permissions and everything. That's the first advice um, I give them. The second one is if you still want to leverage the current authentication model, permission model of SharePoint, you want to make it simple, like I would say the, the, the low-hanging fruit, take your web part you had before, bring it to the client side first, learn that, that first learning curve to <laughs> go from .NET and C-sharp and uh, ASCX control. It's always been a while I've been coding one yeah. of those. Uh, ASCX controls to um, React. And even though a lot of people are saying hey, there's multiple solutions, there's multiple uh, frameworks that you can learn everything, I still, as a first step, if you want to be really successful, learn TypeScript, TypeScript and React. That's how you're going to get the most out of, um, out of SharePoint. Because of the fabric, because of the theming, because of the colors, because of the community also. And that's my third advice. It's look, instead, be lazy. Be really lazy. <laughs> look at what people have already done for you. Um, a good example is that maybe the PNP Web Parts Samples project that exists that gives you, I don't know, 200 web parts that you can not just use as is because... It's really, they're meant to be samples, but they can give you some hints of what can be done and what cannot be done. The, 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 the second piece on, on, on the community side of things is we used to love those controls. We used to have to, to, I don't know, buy some third-party controls or use those. There's a bunch of controls that were created by the community also here, like all the PNP reusable control, the PNP property controls, which will get you very, very, very far, not from a feature perspective, but you won't have to build that UI, build that CSS yourself and all those interactions and behaviors and all that kind of stuff. That's definitely not what I want people to focus on. Focus on business problems, not focus on making beautiful controls. So this will bring them to kind of a better, I would say, story, easier. Is there a magic button to transform your C-sharp code to TypeScript? I don't know, someone will build it at some point, <laughs> but right now it's definitely not that. So the, the basics with the code, React, and then community is, is probably the best thing to do. Yeah, and, and so my experience with the community controls, I, I, I love your thoughts, right? So as you mentioned before, I could go buy a control from a control vendor back in the day, yeah. and I really didn't have to do much. But the community controls, I don't say fit every scenario, right? So I, I've had to go through and tweak them. Yep. But I guess to your point, that's not all bad because now I can see how others have done it and help learn, right? Exactly. That's 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 a that's a that's how you get kind of a, a shortcut in the learning curve. Now, if you want to go further and you want to now, the good thing about communities, yes, you can download the npm package, install it, use it magic happens, but you can also download the source code and understand how a control is built. And now you can use that and maybe build your own control. Or even better, you want to change the way that, I don't know, the taxonomy picker works? Well, do it. Change it. Contribute back to the community. So this is one of the things, and, and I uh, explained that to the, to, the, uh, to the audience. They're always, huh, I didn't know that and now the way they think about it and it's something that I think there's a, a messaging that is important to have here they didn't know that Microsoft was providing those controls it's not exactly Microsoft it's yeah. Microsoft and a bunch of other people but they see it as a, a great shortcut to be able to bring all like the th three last years of efforts that you've been putting on, on premises 
to uh, really reuse that. I, I agree with that. Although at some point it is Microsoft with those controls because almost all of them are building upon the Fabric UI. Yeah. Is that, is that called? Yeah, yeah Office, Office UI, UI Fabric. Fabric. Yeah, yeah. So it certainly is helpful there. So w what else do we want to, or do you point out to these folks? We talked about how we want to break up our app and make sure it's secure and, and uh, familiar UI, which... I always like to say, if I use SharePoint's UI, I don't have to write uh, user documentation. And that's exactly <laughs> it. Same thing, for, same thing for the fabric. If you use, use the fabric, uh, it, it looks like the rest, so you don't have to redo everything. It just works. It's, it's, it's simple. Okay, so um, so you've, um, you mentioned four people doing like timer jobs. So for those back-end type processes, yeah. what's, your, what's your advice for those? So, so th this is where people are, um, especially in, in companies that are not already in the cloud, this is the part that like, seems to be the biggest mountain, it's huge, because now you need to understand and start leveraging Azure. Azure is, for me, a very simple piece of software. It has multiple services that can be very complex. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you, hit, you hit the products list and it's a big wall of links, yeah. <laughs> exactly, so it's, it's the good, it's like, what are the right options for you? Um, a good example, someone asked a, a question this week, how can I build my, exactly this example, how can I build my 250 timer jobs that I have on premises that are doing a bunch of cleanup of data and everything, like really heavy stuff that, okay, it's cool that it's, it's done the right way as a timer job. How do I bring that to the cloud? How do I bring that to the cloud? There's so many ways that you can actually bring that to the cloud. And this is where I, I tend to introduce all the concept with their pros and cons, uh, but it's, it's hard, especially as a speaker, without knowing the, well, yeah. the all backstory, but like talking about app services, maybe you want to do web jobs, or you want to go Azure Functions and have Azure Functions run on a, on a schedule, or maybe you just want to do a logic apps that also runs on a schedule. You want to do it yourself? Why don't you do it in Flow? to do that, that, that timer job. So a timer job can be extremely simple. <laughs> Sometimes it's, it's poking one thing, change one column in one list for one item, we're done. Sometimes it runs forever. So it's all a matter of cost, a matter of maintenance, a matter of simplicity, a matter of a bunch of different factors. So. I'm, I'm going to just make an assumption here that typically who we're seeing in a developer track at a conference is someone who's more familiar with Visual Studio via Visual Studio Code and yes. less than the power platform, right? Yes. So, so do you do you have any opinion either way as to whether I want to, to rewrite things using a function in TypeScript or keep it in C Sharp or App Services? Have you, what's your experience I, and what's your preference? I have an opinion. Okay. I have a preference. For people coming from a C Sharp .NET on-prem background, my go-to is Azure Function and C-Sharp. The reason why, it's easy. The skill, you don't have to learn a language. They're similar, like TypeScript and C-Sharp are not that far from each other, but there are some differences in there that, that can be interesting. The, 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 the Node platform is different than the .NET platform. Ex ex yeah. Exactly. Yeah. This is also where, depending on what type of features you want to use from Azure Functions, this is also where you want to separate. Like Azure Functions, today could work really well um, in V1, V2, V3, but if you want to use CSOM, then you have to go back to V1. And why is that? Because of the framework. See, .NET Framework uh, 476, I don't, I don't remember what are the, the right numbers. Uh, .NET Framework 4, the latest version, uh, LTS, um, this is the only supported uh, CSOM uh, uh, version. So CSOM is not yet on the .NET standard. Uh, Microsoft has announced that it's gonna come at some point on the .NET standard, so you will be able to use that in any .NET Core um, applications. 
meaning that you will be able to leverage that on, on Azure Function 2 and Azure Function 3, which are both running the 2.0 or the 2 version of core and the 3 version of core, um, which will, I think, unlock tons of <laughs> scenarios uh, right there. If you're more of a CSUM uh, guy, Azure Function 1. Uh, if you're more of a... I was using a lot of REST calls. I was doing remote administration or remote access to SharePoint using REST, using their, uh, their APIs. Then maybe two or three, Azure Function 3, who actually out this week, would be probably for me the best, the best scenario. You go there, you do all your calls using, uh, using HTTP, you do whatever you want in there, and then you, you bring it back. Do you, do you think it's worth the investment for on-premises SharePoint developers to try to move away from CSOM? Do we think that the, even if they, they move it to .NET Core, is that still the way you would go, or what would? It's, that, that's a harder question. It's a very good question. I think there's really two types of people. There's a CSOM, there's non-CSOM. <laughs> CSOM will, the, the advantage today of CSOM is they're still wrapping up some weird APIs from SharePoint that makes it simple for you to consume instead of knowing, knowing that, okay, you're actually calling an old school WSDL <laughs> in the back end. You don't have to know that and you definitely don't want to know that. Where when you go to the, to, directly to the API, I think you get a better knowledge of how SharePoint works, but you also get a little bit more challenge, challenges down the road to understand exactly what are the calls and everything, where CSOM kind of abstracts everything for you. I've seen a lot of enterprise devs preferring SDKs. In that case, I think CSOM might be better for them. I see a lot, a lot of new developers from the web, like regular web dev, that they don't want to touch CSOM at all. They just want to call the APIs, and they're super comfortable with mm -hmm. that. So depending on how you want to do it, um, you could do it that, that way. So depending on how you do that, and also don't do like don't merge like or not, not merge, not migrate everything from your on-prem to whatever cool new technology. <laughs> There's ways to yeah. to simplify that. <laughs> well, and, and I guess that gets back to your first point about you know maybe you need to break it up into individual pieces and what's appropriate for that piece, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's going to change your, your the little landscape of the app. It's still going to be the same app in the end, or it's going to be the same. It's going to be the same business requirement, but not the same way you consume that uh, that app. But yeah. it, it's it's a good thing to to merge it to or to bring okay. it to the cloud. What, what did I miss anything in, in what we talked about at the beginning here? Are there any other points or tips or things that you feedback you have? For I would say my 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 last advice when you want to migrate your skills is is to be open and be ready to learn. Um, there's a lot of new concepts uh, in the cloud, and every day there's new concepts. I always do the joke uh, somewhere in my session where, like, it's been 15 minutes I'm talking, and I say, oh, yeah, by the way, um, think about how fast the, the web scene is on GitHub and everything. I've been talking for 15 minutes, and there's always already, like, 250 new NPM packages that were, and new F frameworks <laughs> that were created, and 100 that, that just died. So a, a, it is something that when you're doing some uh, development on more open source stack, you will have to monitor the community, monitor what's happening to leverage the new cool things. And I think maybe also replacing some of the old things you are doing with something that might be better, more suited for you, 
or just leave it like that and live with the yeah. <laughs> with, with the legacy and at some uh, well, point and change that, it. That's our the forever. We've had the technical debt conversation with yes. folks, right? So do I kick it down the road or do I think? And in, in my experience, I'd like to get your thoughts, right? So it has surfaced the technical debt issue in in, in stuff now because oh we have to address it more frequently and so it becomes a little bit more visible which depending on the management perspective could be good or bad but yeah. have you had a similar experience or any other thoughts around well, that i had a very very good experience we were hosting the m365 global bootcamp in montreal a month ago you know it went, especially people are not used to that new stack we start it's all sharepoint framework based so it's npm and there's some you install some packages and at the end now npm includes that vulnerabilities before oh, right. yeah yeah and do you want to run those those vulnerabilities right now and then someone did it and it took forever it broke half of the code <laughs> i was like that kind of reminded me this these are there we know about them when are we going to address them like as even as a product when you you you're like you you have this report every single time you yeah. you install your packages so this technical debt that you have i think you have to address it's, you have to address the 80% as soon as you can. It's okay to have some technical debt. If you were always perfect, if you were always getting the latest and greatest, I think you would just do that. You would just do upgrades, just do tests, <laughs> yeah. and just it, it, it's going to be extremely boring. Yeah, where's the new value to the business, right? That, that's that's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. Um, I always say if it's not broken, don't fix it. Sometimes you have to because stuff will break down, down the road and you want to be in control of when it breaks, rather than the platform changes, then you're good to go. <laughs> There's yeah, nothing yeah, else like, yeah. oh, your 400 customers live in production just broke because of something that you knew. That, that's the part that is. Well, yeah, right, and that's a different conversation for an ISV than it, it would be for mm -hmm. an in-house developer, right? So I totally get all that. Definitely. Well, yeah, so this is fascinating stuff. Thanks a lot for taking the time today. Um, obviously, we're at a conference here. It's too late for folks to come here, but where will you be next? Are any other conferences or events happening? The next one is, uh, actually, I'm going to have a couple of internal uh, travels for, for work uh, for uh, for my role, but I think that the, the next big one would be Ignite the Tour in Toronto. Okay. Beginning of the year, eight or nine of January. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's gonna be cold. I'm gonna have my huge jacket. I'm gonna have my snow boots. Might go by snowmobile from Montreal to Toronto. Uh, <laughs> and the next one actually will be um, one of my favorite of the year, which is the MVP Summit. Yeah, well, I guess not all of our listeners will be at the MVP Summit, but, uh, <laughs> and then obviously I, I expect uh, we'll both be in Vegas again for SPC. Yes, for SPC, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right around the corner, right? We'll exactly, it's, it goes so fast, oh, and goodness, that yeah. last year was just blazing fast. <laughs> yeah, so well, again, so thanks so much for taking the time, and uh, we'll chat again. Cool, cheers. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks.